Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, the annuals don't count. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Yep, Dan, today on the show, you and I, we're going to be double double dipping again. We're going to first be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, number 52.LR, followed up with number 53, Legacy 854. Let's start things off with Amazing Spider-Man number 52.LR, which was written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Federico uh, Vincentini, colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Arseniega. These names just get harder and harder. And letters by (laughs) VCs Ariana Mar and a cover by Marcelo Ferreira and David Curiel. This issue was first released on November 11th, 2020. Mark, I'm so glad that they keep adding new names to, to these credits and, I, and that we started this tradition because it, it is it is standard now. Part of the, the rite of passage for any amazing Spider-Man artist is to be butchered by you. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of ironic, Dan, because, I mean, my last name is Ginocchio. It's the Italian translation is knee it's you know lord knows someone sees it on the page they're like i don't know how to say that name and yet here i am these names vincentini arseniega i mean you know like i should be able like this should come naturally and i can't and it's just so frustrating to me but here we are enough about that let's talk about the comics speaking of vincentini uh this guy just keeps bringing it right i mean these issues they we said this last time they just look as good as the main book i should say as good as the main book but like this for for a sub series if you will this is some really solid dynamic artwork right yeah i i agree and i feel like we got some of the same in like the hunted issues with those like dot hus we got some kind of new tryouts for artists uh, on the book and i think it's an appropriate way to kind of bring someone into the fold I remember like Ebon Coelho, who does a lot of Venom stuff, got a couple issues with Black Cat in there that were gorgeous. And, you know, I think this is kind of a cool place for Marvel to kind of like, you know, put up their new A-listers, so to speak, um, or maybe B-listers at this point. I think um, this guy, Federico, is really awesome. I'm like gunning for a commission from this guy because his, his stuff is so interesting. But what I like is how clean the, his inks are. I, I imagine it's digital line work that he's doing, and it's really slick. His MJ looks great. His characters, his costumes, the visual pacing, I think, is really good. I mean, big panels, small panels. He crams a lot in, and the storytelling is really crisp and clear. You know, I think he's still getting a handle on the kind of, like, Spider-Man action. I think some of the bridge stuff was a little crowded, and there's a scene with... um. Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman shooting a web, which she doesn't do, which I think is an easy slip up for someone who maybe isn't as knowledgeable about the the Spider-Man universe. I I think it is weird that Jessica Drew is probably like a part of that because I see her more of like a Avengers shield character than a Spider-Man character that might throw the artist off a little bit. But I, I think, you know, barring all of that, this guy remains really refreshing and fun to read in this book. 
I'm always impressed by an artist that can, you know, both provide the pencils and the inks for himself and still do a bang up job like this. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there there are a few little sequences where things get a little muddied or, you know, are, I guess, historically inaccurate, if you will. But overall, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy the art on this book a lot. I mean, in terms of the story... I don't know. I, I, I have not been the hugest proponent of these dot LRs from the get go. I know. And, and maybe that that kind of, you know, that baked in bias is, is coming through here. But, you know, there's both a lot going on in these books, but also a lot of nothing. Uh, we can, I guess, start a little bit with the Sin Eater storyline here. You know, he's he's still around. There are there are a lot of diverging plot points going on regarding the Sin Eater and Morlin and now apparently the Spider Queen from Spider Island. And it's just kind of I kind of feel like uh, Cliff Clavin here in terms of like, what are what are what are three men who have not been in my kitchen, Alex? Like, I just don't get like wh- how the, all these points are coming together. It just it seems like a lot and a lot that's very disparate. And I'm not I, I'm not sure it's 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 sinking for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think it, for me, it, this was the issue where this story kind of clicked a little bit more for me. I think if only because of what you're describing is that like, I feel like the main story is really focused and this one is kind of doing the Spider Island thing where it's bringing in all the different generations of Spider-Man's history together in a sort of like big bonanza story. And that it's not the main story it kind of makes me a little more accepting of it. So like, I thought it was kind of clever to have, you know, a, you know, 1980s character using a aughts characters storyline from the 2010s to, (laughs) I I, now, now I'm getting really confusing, but like, I thought it was neat to like leverage Spider-Man's history and say, well, what could we use to bait Moreland? Well, we could use the Spider Island chemicals to create more spiders, which would draw Morlin out. And it was like, okay, these are fun puzzle pieces that we're fitting together and exploring Spider-Man's history. And that stuff, I think, is kind of fun for us, kind of like old timers, if you will, even if those stories are ultimately fairly recent, even if you just jumped on Morlin with Spider-Verse and the Inheritors. So I thought that was kind of fun. Is it essential? Is it like a, you know, must buy comic? No, but I like that comics get to be comics a little bit here and be a little weird and all over the place. I think any fear, and we'll get talk about this when we get to the main issue, 53, any fear that these comics were affected by the movies to go after a mass market appeal is completely washed away by issues like this and issue 53 that are so obsessed with comics minutia. I, you know, it's both a detriment in some ways that it's so inside baseball, but I do enjoy that it treats a lot of this stuff seriously and like, and respects the history of it, even if it doesn't make for a great story overall. I also agree with the idea that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be reading a comic that acknowledges that, it's it's a comic, you know. We're not we're not trying to write something for the uh, inevitable adaptation into a movie or a Disney Plus miniseries. I mean, you know, it's very. This is very clearly. Uh, this is not going beyond the pages of Amazing Spider-Man in terms of uh, the future of this character. At the same token, like I, I like I said, it's both too much and. You know, I feel like when you start throwing in all these different subplots, even if they you know, they do kind of seem to click in some ways. It, it, it just feels very watered down to me. I mean, it's like in in, in any given storyline in Spider-Man history, you know, Sin Eater is enough or Moreland by himself is enough or the Spider Queen is enough. And, and I feel like in just kind of adding more and more or Harry or, or excuse me, Norman Osborn is enough. And it's just, it's, it's too much. Like, you know, I feel like when you, when you throw too much product into it, it just waters everything down and it kind of negates the, the gravitas that the characters have uh, independent of each other. Uh, when you just kind of start like piling on and piling on and piling on, especially when you have like, as you know, uh, in the main book, this very thus far focused, kind of granularly told story between Spider-Man and Kindred. You know, the fact that these 
are all supposed to be kind of threading together in some way. It just seems like a lot. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not enjoying having to keep up with so many different subplots right now. It's like, you know, I, I, I wish there was kind of a happy medium um, somewhere to be said. So that's, that's, that's where I am on it. I get if people disagree, I get where you disagree, Dan, but you know, I think it's just, it's just too much. <laughs> well, I, I, I will I will say this, you know, t- to that point, and I, I'm beginning to share your anxieties about it, is that like, you know, it, it seemed to me that these some of these plot points were going to find a way to coalesce at some point into each other. But with the order of the web, and we'll talk about this in a moment, going into like another dimension at the end of the book, I don't really know what goal Sin Eater has at the moment. You know, if he if he is able to get Morland's powers, you know that you know m- maybe he inherits Morland's dimension hopping abilities. But like, I don't see like how he tracks them down now that they're in some kind of dreamscape scenario. You know, so those two plot lines seemed that seemed the closest now seem quite divergent from each other. And then you know, like the MJ stuff seems much more connected to what's going on in the main issue. It's ultimately seems to be some kind of discussion between Harry and Norman. Uh, you know, is Norman just going to show up with MJ in a couple of issues of the standard last uh, remains storyline? You know, and speaking of last remains, we've only got like what two issues of that left. So it does seem like there's a lot that needs to happen, including an explanation for what the heck is going on in this story. And I do worry that this might be a case of a lot of bloat early on, even if I'm enjoying it thus far and a quick wrap up, which we'd often dinged Dan Slott for doing, which is like stalling until the last issue where a million things have to coalesce and very rarely satisfyingly. So I've got my red flag raised, even if I, you know, find some joy in in the momentum of it all uh, currently. Yeah, like what's going to happen off panel? <laughs> you know, that'll be the <laughs> that'll be the true test. But let's talk a little bit about the um, Mary Jane and uh, Norman sequence here. All the things that are going on. This is probably the subplot that interests me the um, the most right now. I mean, maybe because it's I feel it's the most relevant to the main storyline going on within ASM. You know, we kind of peel back more layers in terms of the kindred situation. I mean, you know, MJ obviously doesn't trust Norman and who who can blame her? <laughs> you know, she even throws a, a, a lamp or, th- you know, smashes him with a lamp at one point. But, you know, he kind of comes at her, you know, Peter's in danger, you know, and of course she's like, well, yeah, from you. And she's like, well, no, from Harry. And it's kind of, you know, like this, this seems to be the first acknowledgement in this storyline of like not just not just Harry Osborne and the historical significance of the character, but kind of Harry's more recent history and how he kind of seemed to had figured out his life to the point that MJ's even like, well no, last last I saw Harry, he was he was fine. And Norman is kind of alludes to there being some secrets that he still has not shared which I think is going to obviously uh, dovetail with uh, whatever is going on with Kindred's story, which we will get into in when we talk about Amazing 53 in a few, right? Yeah, let's hold off on on our theories about that. I mean, I don't want to get into the Europe of it all just yet because I think there are several more uh, clues that appear in 53. So I want to hold my theorizing till the end of that conversation because I think there are some things we can speculate about Harry's past and what we do and don't know about it. But this idea that Norman is withhold, been, has been withholding information and might be complicit in this kindred thing is interesting. And I didn't get that like kind of reading from Norman in those absolute carnage issues. He seemed kind of surprised to see what he presumes is his son. And we have confirmation is his son, at least in some regard, when he was locked up in a cell was that your reading on that? I mean, like he seemed genuinely surprised to see him. I am with you 100% on that one. The next big kind of event from this thing is we experience the fallout of this bridge attack from the the demonized order of the web. You know, they, they've, they've all woken up from their spell, which we saw dispelled when Spider-Man made a deal with Kindred to die 
to save their lives. So they're all recovering from this moment after that decision. You know, there seems to be kind of like almost like a fun reset of the status quo, which I would kind of love to see, which is people being fearful of the spider people in New York after they've seen them destroying a bridge which happens seemingly every other week. Um, maybe just because I'm playing the Spider-Man PS5 game where that where that happens. Uh, um, and then it's kind of quickly brushed aside. Don't rub um, it in, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you still have to play the, the, uh, the other one from 2018 at some point. I'm going to have to buy you a PlayStation 4 one of these days. Oh, yeah. There um, you go. So That's- everybody's kind of afraid of them. And Doctor Strange shows up to kind of like piece everything back back together for a moment i thought it was like madam webb doing some kind of like mystical web thing because god knows the extent of her powers <laughs> which i actually liked because because dr strange makes a joke about about it later on that she he hates dealing with clairvoyance and you know maybe that's a shout out to the readers who just kind of find madam webb annoying Welcome so yeah this club. is the reappearance of <laughs> right right this is the reappearance of dr strange how have you felt about dr strange's kind of appearance in these issues. I mean, he's clearly in my mind coming back in because of his central role in Omit that he's back here to play a role in a story that seems to be moving in that direction. Yeah. And of course for those, the uninitiated Omit meaning one moment in time, which is the storyline that was kind of the follow up to one more day uh, that kind of explained the machinations of one more day and Dr. Strange's role in it all. Not to, not to reveal uh, process to people here, but before we started recording, Dan, you and I were talking a bit about this, and I kind of referred to Doctor Strange as like he's clearly the you know the the, the Chekhovian gun here. It's very intentional that he is involved with this story, especially given his historic the historical significance of Doctor Strange with and his relationship to Spider Man and his deal with uh, Mephisto and the devil in One More Day and then in Omit. Thus far, he he is there for that, for when the trigger gets pulled and all this comes together. But so far, I'm kind of not not feeling it. I mean, you know, he's got some some decent one-liners, both at like Madam Webb's expense and also at Black Cat's expense. But like, I don't know, like he's just kind of transporting the spider folk around different dimensions. And I, you know, like I, it's, it's not doing much for me. Like, I don't feel like this is a character that's adding much to the story outside of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge to everyone else who's paying attention. Like, Oh, you know, like we're, we're, we're playing with the third rail of, of, of the, of the marriage and the deal with the devil. So, you know, he's got to be here. And when it, when we decide to pull the trigger, it's going to be a big deal guys. Right. And, I don't know. I don't see it, see much beyond it at this point so far. And maybe I'm being too cynical, but the character is not being used well, to, in my opinion, so far. And I think it's innocent enough, although, you know, I, I, I kind of like roll my eyes at the hand wavy comic bookness of like, you know, we can't track Spider-Man. So we'll attune ourselves to the order of the web and that'll track him. And it's like, OK, whatever hand wavy comic book nonsense that gets you where you need to go. So he opens a portal and sends them into the dream dimension where we had previously seen Spider-Man or whatever you want to call this place. Because it seems like if you read 53, Spider-Man has ended up there after dying. So maybe it's actually hell. I'm not, I'm not really sure. And I don't know that I care all that much. It's comics and I, I hate that excuse, but there is a certain amount of me going, whatever, it's another dimension. Fine. Yeah, so we, you know, right, Black Cat is left behind to guard the hand of Vishanti, which by, you know, astute logic, she couldn't steal it twice. So you're the perfect guardian to to keep it. (laughs) So I suspect that someone is going to be coming after her shortly. So moving on, you know, some of our questions were answered and we alluded to this last episode about Moreland, right? Last we saw him, he was locked up in this like Iron Maiden thing from the end of Spider-Geddon and left for the police to come and get. And it seems as though some random scientists were doing experiments on him and he broke free, you know, heaven forbid, a villain stay put. In the classic Marvel style, nobody can stay behind bars for long. And Moreland has escaped only to go hang out in the sewers. I'm guessing he's having like an identity crisis and trying to figure out what what to do next down in the in the in underneath Manhattan, uh, where he is going to be hunted down by 
or at least lured uh, out of hiding to get these spider island spiders that have been created by none other than the Sin Eater, which I thought were really well visualized. I mean, just as terrifying as I remember them from from that series. You know, kind of counter to my first point, it, it is bringing these other points together. It's just like, I, I, I it still doesn't change my thoughts that it's just too much coming together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, but, yeah. I still don't feel like Morlin is essential to this tale. I don't really know where the Sin Eater stuff is going, but yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, but, but, uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the, sp- the, the spider crew and, uh, what, what awaits them upon their, their first interdimensional time jump or not time jump, but like little, little transportation. Cause it, it I didn't know what quite to make of, what we saw when we got there, but it does seem like they're in some kind of danger. Uh, what What is your speculation about it? Well, I mean, I think on initial first blush, it just looks like kind of like a demonic MJ that is hanging out there in this other dimension. I didn't really know what to make of it either. But upon thinking about it a bit more, you know, if you reread, you know, that JMS issue that we referenced last time where this dimension first appears, while Spider-Man is there and he strays off the path, which Doctor Strange warns him not to do, his mind begins influencing the the people of the dimension. Things start to transform to reflect his internal thoughts. And he's like in Times Square and all the people in Times Square turn into MJ. They just all have her face. And then I think it was like right in 52, we saw Spider-Man come, you know, face to face with like this MJ with like kindred arms growing out of her back that was kind of like beckoning for him. My suspicion is that this dimension is just full of creatures that look like MJ that are going to be kind of like evil or something like that. That That's my first kind of guess is like just a dimension populated with like evil MJ lookalikes. A second guess would be maybe, you know, we haven't seen Spiderling or anime Parker much yet. And last we left her at the end of spider Geddon, she was kind of the new weaver of the, the web of life or whatever. And she hasn't really shown up, even though we've got this kind of cross dimensional threat thing going on. So maybe she's involved. Um, and then the other thought I had was that, you know, and this is like choice C or whatever is that, you know, remember that child that we saw in one more day that was like the projected child of, Peter and MJ that we were that they were basically giving up by erasing their memory of each other um, like this, like, su- you know, suspected kid. Maybe that kid grew up and that th- this is that kid kind of um, showing up for the first time. And and I say Spiderling, I'll go back and say Spiderling so that Grant Hutchison and our spider slack can be happy because he's been suggesting that Kindred is Spiderling for months. And I just want to throw him a bone and say that Spiderling is going to be in this. Yeah, Mark, do any of those ring true to you? I mean, like, there's really not much to go on other than that it looks like MJ. I, I definitely feel like it could be some kind of warped version of MJ for sure, especially since we kind of had that visual already both in this in this series but also in in the JMS stories. But I, I, I do think, you know, the, the child from, you know, the, the child that wasn't from Brand New Day or, for, excuse me, from One More Day with with more to come, obviously, so much references and visual references to one more day in this storyline. Like, why not go there? I mean, like, there, there's no reason why I shouldn't. I I would probably say it's one of those two, frankly. Yeah, you want to get to a grade on this one? Yeah, sure. I'm gonna go with a C plus on this one. Liked it, but I'm still kind of holding on. And I I am right there with you. C plus. We we. We're so similar, Dan. <laughs> so boring. I what a boring what review show. We need to we need to have a fight one of these days. We haven't had a fight in years. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? I, I, although I guess we never like publicly talked about Spider Man Rain on the show. I feel like we did, but but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll 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 we can always do more of that sometime. But uh, why don't why don't so why don't we get to the second half of the show, which also includes names that are far easier to pronounce. Yep. All right. I gave myself the easy ones. Uh, Next up, we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 53. That is Legacy 854, written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Edgar Delgado, 
See, I'm, I'm pretending to not be able to say this now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and le- letters by VCs Joe Caramagna and a cover by Patrick Leeson and Edgar Delgado. This issue was first released on November 18th, 2020, as we approach the end of this hell year by going directly to hell itself. So, Mark, Amazing Spider-Man 53. Do we want to get into the overall thoughts or just kind of work our way through this? Because there's a lot like to kind of unpack here. I think we should just work our way through it because it's, it's, it's one of those things where overall, not a ton happens. But, you know, there are a lot of... Very interesting details found page upon page here, including, uh, I mean, this opening sequence, Dan, I got to be honest, I we, we jumped on this call and we were chit-chatting as we do before starting the live stream. And then you said, oh, you know, and I want to get into this. And I'm like, wait, what? So I totally missed this. So I, I need you to take this away to start because this is a totally different read than what I had. And thus, I need I need you to kind of lead the way on this. I kind of want to get my general thought out really quickly, which because I think it goes this scene is kind of a great microcosm of that, which is like the more I reread this issue, the more I, I gain from it and the more I enjoy it. But I think it is hampered by one big thing, and that is Mark Bagley's artwork. And you know me, I'm the biggest fan of Mark Bagley. I'm looking up on my wall right here in front of me while recording this where I've got like three Mark Bagley pieces of original art. It was a thrill of a lifetime to interview him on the show. And we've been so praising his work back from the Sins Rising uh, episodes. But to me, I don't know if this was rushed or, or if the inks are different. Like, you know, John Dell's inks maybe just don't really work here. But I found it so hard to like discern what was happening in this issue moment to moment. And that's because a lot of the characters look very similar and it was hard to really identify everybody. And that really, you know, just starting from literally the beginning to the end, I had this trouble. So like on page one, we've got this almost like floating camera. And in many ways, this feels like a a, a bit more of like a, a cinematic sequence as we're wandering from room to room in this house And the first bedroom that we enter is with this blonde haired woman. And I guess I should have immediately thought that it was Liz Allen, but we haven't seen Liz much in this series. And what my mind didn't immediately go there. The, the end of this series ends with like, I have such a hard time sleeping or I could sleep through anything at night using I, and it's from Kindred's perspective. And we see someone sleeping so I figured it was like young Harry or something like that, even though the hair doesn't look right. I mean, it doesn't even look like Normie, who is who it is. And, you know, so I had a really hard time kind of placing, you know, this sequence. When I first read this, you know, I was I was oscillating between like, oh, so if it's Harry, then is that older woman Emily Lyman? Except Emily Lyman is a brunette. So then I thought, well, this looks like Peter in the bed. So is this Mary Parker? Well, no, she's a brunette too. So is it May Parker? And this is a long time ago because May Parker was blonde. So, okay, that works. And then even with the kid in the bed, in between, panel to panel, the hair seems to change from brunette to blonde. And I, so I, I was just really struggling. And, you know, I guess I should have guessed it was Normie because his hair is kind of like, I guess, like a, like a dirty blonde, depending on what interpretation you're looking at. But I just thought that the way that the dialogue was placed saying I could sleep through anything, the way that this was drawn, it just kind of started the whole thing off with a big question mark for me that I think I eventually landed on. But it seemed like a just a disaster of a sequence to me. And clearly it was for other people, too, because like, Mark, you totally didn't read it this way at all. What did you read this as? I had a very hard time with it, Dan. And and I mean, to be totally Blunt, I I was seeing this as just kind of another, like I wasn't even looking at the hair colors. Like I was kind of like, wait, so are we getting like brand new day or not brand new day, but one more day and, and Peter waking up in bed like from a couple of different angles before we finally got the angle that we remember from Amazing Spider-Man number 554. It was very difficult for me. I thought we were essentially getting Peter twice here for some reason. And that that didn't make sense to me, but I, I didn't 
the the male character looked like Peter to me, and I couldn't quite grasp who the female could have been. It it was a mess for me. I didn't get it. I didn't get it until we finally got into the sequence that was clearly the homage, not even the homage, it was a direct reference to 545. Uh, and that's when the story finally started to to happen for me, if you will. Yeah. So let's talk about like, let's say this is Normie and Liz, which I think it is. Uh, no, I would say I wouldn't say quite clearly because clearly it, it wasn't quite clear to us. Ultimately, it, this is Normie and Liz. Um, so what can we take away from that? that Kindred is returning to them kind of watching over them. Like he did MJ kind of like the protection of the innocence or whatever. No, even if you don't think that Normie and Liz are really all of that innocent. I mean, do you have any takeaways from, from this? To me, this continues to frankly, and I'm not trying to say this to, to puff myself up, but like to me, it continues to play into my theory that, the version of Harry Osborne that we are seeing here is is not the Harry Osborne that we have been getting in the comics over the last few years since his return from the dead, if you will, at at the beginning of the of the brand new day storyline. I think that which is referenced heavily uh, throughout this comic, we are basically seeing the Harry that gave into the demons of the Green Goblin and and ended up dead in Spectacular 200. I'm assuming at some point, and maybe because of the secrets that Norman was referring to in the aforementioned uh, 52.LR, the fact that these visual references are, are with, with presumably Liz and Normie are similar to what we saw with Peter and then Aunt May in One More Day, like this is this isn't a coincidence like like i mean you know what what started peter on that path it was his deal with mephisto so i mean are we are we going to learn that some kind of deal with harry was made to return you know to bring his soul back from from hell in the form of the character that would become harry lyman and because of reasons to be explained he the character reverted back to the demonic version of himself because the deal was not consummated or was broken or or what have you. I think that's where we're going with this. That's my read of it. I, and if I jump too far ahead with the speculation, Dan, you can wrap my knuckles later for that. But like that's that's this kind of where my head is at after seeing these first few pages of these books here. I mean, I guess for me, it's a it's a it's a matter of like what the interaction between these characters is, you know, if he's standing over, you know, Normie, is he looking on at him like he's meeting him again for the first time in years? Or is he looking on at him and saying goodbye to him because of some action he's about to take? You know, like I I feel like, you know, there's a reading that this is actually Harry Lyman Osborne, the the real Harry, not the kind of one that was sent to hell or whatever our presumption is, who is turning a leaf and becoming something else, as Mary Jane suggested in the LR issue, that she had just seen Harry and he was fine. So clearly that guy existed, you know, and is somewhere. I mean, we don't see him standing over his own body, you know, here in this house. So, like, my immediate assumption from this was that, like, Oh, the, the, the kindred that we're dealing, dealing with is actually like, this is Harry Lyman Osborne. And there's some major change that we missed off page that made it like this. That's my initial read that that might be wrong. Cause your take on it also seems very credible, but like on first blush, you know, making that connection with Normie and Liz made me think this is a guy that is standing over his family about and saying goodbye to them because he's about to do something major that won't allow him to come back. As the character himself keeps saying, and as Nick Spencer has said, it's not it's not the who, it's the why. I imagine we're we're going to get the why at some point. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I feel like this is an issue that kind of just pushes the why <laughs> a bit more, even though. The, the the issue kind of consummates itself with the who <laughs> you know what I mean like we, we <laughs> you know it ends with with kindred finally revealing his identity to Peter but like it, it feels kind of anticlimactic because at this point we're still like yeah well we've known obviously it's been Harry for a few issues now Peter doesn't know but we have known so now it's like all right 
I'm more interested in the why now. You've been you've been baiting me with the why for forever now. Like, what the hell does this all mean? Why are we getting all of these references to one more day? I mean, like, you know, it's like and this is I, I have to admit, like this was I, I felt that this was all very well done in terms of kind of like Peter going through this story that we have seen before in an earlier issue, but kind of reacting with with the the you know the fresh eyes of what what the current status quo is, like him seeing Flash and MJ being there. I mean, do you want to kind of walk through some key moments from that? Sure. Well, let's just spell it out first. So, like, you know, we have Peter waking up in in bed. Uh, an, an empty bed with with no one next to him, which is kind, it is the an exact parallel to Amazing Spider-Man number five forty five. And if you haven't read that issue after reading this one, or you've never read that issue, I know people hate one more day, but I think it will really change your read on this issue, which is made what made this issue actually really interesting for me. It reminds me of like Amazing Spider-Man six ninety eight where your first read through is one way and your second read through is something completely different. You know, you have to do a little more work in this issue, but my first read through of this issue was like, Oh, this is really cool. I got to go back and read amazing Spider-Man 545 again. And then rereading it again after reading amazing Spider-Man 545, it was a complete, not completely different, but it was a very different experience for me that allowed me to take away a bunch of other things from it. Just, just to kind of get into this, like, This is nearly a panel for panel recreation of the final sequence of one more day or really the start of brand new day because it's after the deal is done. Peter wakes up and goes to a party to celebrate Harry's return from Europe, which we would later find out the full details on and the introduction of like Carly Cooper and and Lily Hollister and the kind of cast of the brand new day era culminating in everybody clinking their glasses to a bright brand new day. Like I said earlier, I really appreciated like the kind of deep dives that Spencer is, is doing here. Like this is a comic that is solely for comic fans and hardcore Spider-Man fans and also really touching the third rail of comics. You know, like we are firmly have our hands planted on that rail right now. You know, I can't imagine what this comic reads like if you don't know about Amazing Spider-Man 545. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is navel gazing at its finest right now. I mean, like, (laughs) and like, and that's not that's not a criticism because like, I mean, frankly, this is these are comics that are written for fans like you and I in mind, Dan. I mean, like we're we're getting more out of this than those who have no familiarity with these stories or who swore off Spider-Man after these stories or, or, or what have you. I mean, you know, we can argue from a marketing strategy if this is the, the kind of stories that we should be telling right now, but I don't care. I mean, like, I, 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 I appreciate, I mean, you know, to me, nothing, nothing should be, you know, we talk about the third rail, but I don't think if it's part of continuity, I don't think anything should be the third rail. Like if you, if it's, if, you know, if it's there, it's there, you know, use it, use it or don't use it. But like, you know, like there shouldn't be stuff that that's part of the, the storyline that you shouldn't be allowed to use, except maybe sins past. But we can we can talk about that some other time. Uh, <laughs> that's the truth. I feel like we route. just did shortly ago. Yeah, it's true. This is for hardcore Spider-Man fans. I mean, not even just hardcore Spider-Man fans, but those who like have kind of endured what the character has gone through over the last. I mean, one more day was what now 2007 or 2009 i i I, it's hard for me to remember now i think it's 2007 yeah yeah i mean you know we're we're going on 13 almost 14 years now uh that this all happened so i mean you know that's a that's a generation of fans here that have probably been lapsed out of this book you know kind of going through what we have gone through with this character that's i must making it sound like it's some kind of like you know trials and tribulations here i just mean like you know for fans that have been kind of lapping this stuff up to, to kind of see us going over this in a way that in a meaningful way that has not been done yet i i, I mean to me that's significant you know for all of bagley's issues in the very very beginning of this story i do feel he kind of like settles in and and does a great job once we are clearly in the domain of of 
one more day and, and the story that's being told from there. Speaking of that story, I mean, we're going through these events, but Peter himself seems self-aware uh, in a way that we are, in that we've seen this before, you know, and, and Peter acknowledges that early on. I remember this day, you know, it was a, it was a special day for him, you know, and, you know, my immediate thought, like, you know, before I recognized it as one more day, it was like, are we going back to that kind of like party where a flash returned that we had seen in the kind of flashbacks in the absolute carnage issues. But, you know, obviously we're not doing that. My suspicion here, I guess, is like this is some kind of like hell memory or, or dream. I mean, like ultimately we, we, we see demons infecting this story, right? We see the bellman at the hotel is kind of in on the joke, looks kind of green goblinish or, or demon, demonic. There's like the woman that announces Harry's arrival that looks kind of like twisted and overly excited about something. Uh, you get a nice moment with Peter and Flash where he's excited to see Flash alive. And Flash is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, uh, aren't you know, you know, I'm not the surprise. You know, we got a, a bigger surprise coming up. The most interesting thing to me is the stuff with MJ. Because rereading the old issue and this issue, they're very similar. And, you know, this could just come down to kind of artistic interpretation, which is that like Bagley's drawings aren't the same as the original drawings. In my mind, as she sinks into the crowd as she did in the original issues, here she just looks sadder, like maybe she is aware of what's happening like Peter is. And yet the events still play out the same way. So, you know, I wonder how much of that was my interpretation of it or not. But did you have the same feeling when you encountered this MJ moment? Well, if I am revealing my ignorance here, I apologize. But like, I mean, didn't wasn't one of the essential reveals of one moment in time that MJ was just as aware of what had happened as Peter was? I know that I meant more like aware in this moment of the dream. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm like, you know, I feel like going back now to this moment versus the original moment when that had not been established yet, because that kind of got established after the fact. I'm assuming that like that that's kind of what we're we're working with here is that that, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with kind of a, a self-awareness of these characters twofold, because like, you know, we've had other stories that have happened since then from the past that that reveal more is known than what was known when these stories first appeared. I know I'm talking in circles here, but, but, but I, I guess for me, <laughs> my, my interpretation was this is, this is a more aware MJ from, you know, the stories that came after one more day, but not necessarily present day MJ. I don't know if this is, if this is 2020 MJ being kind of concurrently existing in this dream with Peter. I feel like these LR issues are showing that MJ is kind of in her own sphere right now. And Peter is kind of going through his own turmoil. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but like MJ didn't remember the Mephisto deal. She just remembered Spider-Man's identity, right? Like she was allowed to hold on to that. Right. Because Spider-Man pulled her back into the bubble with the spell from Dr. Strange but her ask from Mephisto was that he leave Peter alone for all of time, not that she remember it or anything, which was kind of the, the fan expectation, was that she asked Mephisto to allow her to remember everything. But she just remembered his identity from the Doctor Strange spell. Right. I don't know. I don't know, Dan. But yeah, <laughs> she, but she looks kind of sad and like kind of like... Not just sad, but like she like I feel like the character is literally fading into the story here in a way, almost like kind of like the the back to the future photos. You know what I mean? Like she's kind of she's kind of evaporating a little bit in this story. And there seems almost like no matter how much Peter reaches out to her, the crowd gets in his way. It's almost like uh, fate has like, uh, you know, is stepping in to keep them apart. She gets in the elevator and there's like a red down arrow, which is present in the original comic. In my mind, you know, in this kind of modern reinterpretation of it, knowing that we're dealing with hell so much here, it, it almost in my mind signaled that she was going down to hell in some way. This kind of elevator into the like nether realm. I don't have anything to back that up, but like that's the kind of feeling it gave me with the kind of red down arrow. 
I'm probably massively over over reading this. Let's talk a little bit about Harry uh, and how he appears in these scenes, because me, oh, my, this is some charged up stuff, I would say. Yeah, (laughs) this is really weird. So Harry comes out with Carly, who also looks pretty sinister. But again, that might just be Bagley's kind of interpretation. I don't know if you remember in the original, but like Peter just straight up blows off Carly in this sequence as he's watching MJ go down the elevator. I thought it was interesting, and this was more of an interesting note to me, is that, like, and we'll get to the final page in this issue, but when Harry shows up here, his eyes are very clearly green. And I thought, okay, you know, like, there was this language established, you know, a few issues back that, like, Norman's eyes turned green when he was under the influence of the goblin serum. And I was asking myself, well, really, what color are Harry's eyes? It's It's not something I've ever really invested too much in. So I first went back to the original scene in 545 to see what Harry's eye color is. And I noticed something really interesting in that scene. And again, this is they, there's no way they planned this. You know, this is Nick Spencer mining this stuff for details is there's a really interesting shot when Harry goes to, like, make a toast, uh, which was also really interesting in this particular issue. You know, he holds the glass up in front of one of his eyes and it's a close up on the other eye, which is bright green. I thought, well, what a weird thing for them to show us up close, this bright green eye. And I don't think they meant anything by it. But if I was Nick Spencer, which I'm not, but I'm reading his comics and he's made a clear point to showcase us the Norman eye color change thing. I thought that was really interesting. And then I thought, well, let's compare this to what Harry's eyes were pre-Goblin serum. And I couldn't really make a definitive claim on this. It seems to me that his eyes are like brown slash olive green, but really interesting in the JMD stories when he's the goblin, they're like electric blue, which I mean flies in the face of like Nick Spencer's whole green eyes thing. So I couldn't really make a definitive takeaway if we're meant to read anything from the color of Harry's eyes here. But I wanted to kind of put it out there because I could see them kind of ignoring the inconsistencies in the past and establishing this as like a thing that goblin eyes are green and maybe Harry was still under the influence of the goblin serum when he reappeared in in brand new day here and things have not been entirely on the level all this time. I mean, it would be a massive retcon to suggest that he was goblining during all of this while being Harry Lyman, but I don't know. Do you, I mean, am I on to anything here or am I just kind of like overanalyzing this as I want to do? I don't know if you're overanalyzing, but I I think there are other details that come in this comic here that are far more interesting and telling to me than than the color of his eyes. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to you. I I I I love that you got into this level, but like, I mean, like re- revisiting the toast and the the speak of the devil line. I mean, the, to me, like that's that's where the heart of the revelations lie here. Sure, right. So Harry prepares a toast, and in the original, in 545, he says, you know the worst thing about rehab. And in this version, he says, you know the worst thing about hell. A couple of interesting things about that. I mean, first of all, it's a difference. So, Mark, what do you take away from that thing? It's me trying to kind of pat myself on the back here, Dan. Like, I, I like Peter is with MJ in Nick Spencer's storyline, and this resets something with Harry Osborne. Uh, that brought back from this deal, some kind of deal that was made during Brand New Day, uh, One More Day. And now, like, even if this is Harry Lyman, Osborne, whatever, like Harry Osborne never had demonic powers that gave him the ability to haunt people's dreams and to, you know, grow centipedes from his body. You know what I mean? Like, like this is this is a very specific power set that has been acquired by Harry here. And I mean, to me, it, it suggests something that is supernatural and not of this world or not of this realm. It's clear to me that we're kind of reliving this sequence, but we're now reliving it under the guise of, well, now that Peter and MJ are together again, this is what actually is happening to Harry. You know, like Harry is now saying it's not rehab, it's hell because he's was in hell. And 
whatever happened and we're going to find out because there's still how many chapters of the story left right now, Dan? There's like what, like between the LRs and ASM, there's like five (laughs) more chapters here. Uh, I think we're going to find out. But like, you know, to me, like something something got reset. And and now the 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 dead damn to hell Harry, who was the Green Goblin and was a murderer, is is. This is this character. It would make sense that he would say, I was in hell, not in rehab, because rehab was the, was the cover for the other version of this character who, you know, was kind of pushed aside into Europe by his father out of, you know, shame for him always constantly screwing up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And, and, and on the topic of rehab, you know, and, and these kind of flashbacks, you know, it is important to note that the previous flashback that we had seen at the party dealt specifically with Harry and his drug abuse and getting out of rehab. Whatever time periods we're returning to does seem to kind of link up with these suggestions of Harry's kind of healing, so to speak, that really wasn't. That'll be interesting to see if that plays into it at all. You know, Harry Harry is continuing on and Peter tries to break out of the scene. He's become self-aware, but the kind of kindred Harry breaks in, forcing Peter to finish the scene. I'm kicking myself for not going back and rereading these issues after all this time of talking about one more day and my theories of it being part of this, because man, if I had read the the line in 545 where he literally says, speak of the devil and he appears, what a find, Spencer. I mean, that's chilling. It's a damn good find. I don't know how we didn't see this. My hat off to you, Nick Spencer. But at the same time, Dan, and I'm not, and, and no, this is this is a brilliant callback by by Nick Spencer. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from it. But at the same time, like I mean, because I reread these issues myself a few years ago when I was researching stuff for my book, and like my read of it at the time was like you know, speak of the devil, like you know, again, like my deal with the devil is what brought you back. You know what I mean? Like like we don't know why this was a contingent we we still we'll find out i'm assuming that was always my read of it it was like you know speak of the devil because i just made a deal with the devil and now you're here but now it's i mean we're literally talking about harry as a as a ver- version of the devil so it it just brings more depth and clarity to to that kind of you know turn of phrase which is you know very cliched and common it was a fantastic callback and and it, you know given where this story is going it's it, it 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 just brings it to a whole new level it's fantastic so you know kindred you know cutting in and out you know leaves normie behind and walks back through this like hall of mirrors that we saw in the previous issue which i think is interesting cuz i always figured that was just kind of like like a momentary allegory, but it seems to be almost like the transportation between worlds. So I wonder if there's more yet to be dealt with in regard to mirrors and, and holding oneself up against a mirror. So Kindred like walks past these mirrors and his reflection doesn't seem to appear in them, whether that's an art choice or, or not. And he's transported back into this, like whatever shadow realm, if you will, where he confronts Peter, who's waking up on this, slab and he's like breathing for the first time in this like hell world and he's gasping for breath and this line from kindred where he says you know it takes a moment to get used to i've done it many times to me almost implied that kindred suggests that he's died many times or whether he's transported between worlds many times like we just saw him do but i thought was a strange line to include you know, and made me wonder, like, okay, like, what does it mean that Harry has died many times? Maybe I'm overreading it, but it, it seemed like a weird inclusion. It's definitely not a line meant to be thrown away, but like, I feel like in the context of what we got, it's very unclear what he meant by it. Which is a classic Kindred staple at this point. Yeah, true, 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 true. Uh, double, double talk. So Kindred suggests that Peter always knew it was Harry. But again, Lark, like you said, it isn't who he is, but what he wants. So again, I'm very much ready to find out what he wants. And that may be my overall review of this issue, which is, yeah, I want to know what he wants. We did get we did then get the gotcha, which I appreciated. I mean, that's a that's a very JMD, Sal Buscema, Harry Osborne, a.k.a. Spectacular 200. 
I feel like this is where this character's timeline ends. <laughs> I really do. I feel like this is that character. Um, but why and what? What does he want? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Now, so, like, Kindred pulls his mask off. And I got to say, I was kind of surprised by this because I always figured it was just like he actually was damaged or bandaged up under there. But this is just like another mask saga in which case i feel like we really ought to get this harry to a dentist because those teeth have been horrifying in previous issues and i don't think he's wearing like a false set of teeth in in this issue i mean i know that's like whatever there's a level of uh of uh you know belief that has to be put you know put into this i mean it was a fun little surprise ending i think maybe this should have come a little bit earlier because now we're like we're not experiencing this alongside peter we already knew this Norman revealing that it's Harry was not as fun as getting a mask being taken off. So maybe swap these moments, though it's fun to see it from Peter's perspective. But I got to say, like, I was a little like unmoored by all, like all of these kind of kindred Harry moments because Harry looks like Norman Osborn way too much here for me. I knew it said gotcha, but like the whole time I was like, damn, this looks exactly like Norman. For me, for Mark Bagley, it's like, I know he can do it, so why didn't he make Harry more distinct in, in this? And, and that's just a knockdown on the storytelling for me in terms of the art. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as as I said earlier in in our episode here, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to treat this as a reveal because it's been revealed for us. So like, and you know, I don't feel like we really got that much time or face time with Peter reacting to this you know and we'll get it next issue i'm sure outside of the gotcha there was nothing there that kind of screams like oh that's a that's a fun way to do this you know what i mean like i mean but gotcha gotcha did kind of land with me because i mean you know those those books from the early 90s are some of my favorite books that have been done you know so it's like all right you know like that's cool but yeah, other than that, it was kind of like, eh, you know, meh, we've done it. We know, we know who it is. And, you know, and like, let's get to the big, the, to, to the reveal within the reveal, you know? I mean, were, were you happy reading this issue? Because like when I read this issue, I think I texted you, you know, because you got these late and, you know, and I said like, I'll just say this, this issue is a screaming suggestion that Mark was right. Did it give you pleasure, at least on that realm of being like, ha ha, I called it. <laughs> Honestly, no. I mean, like, it's not about validating my own theories. It's like I, I want to see the story kind of progress the best way it possibly can for the story. I, I, I would just as rather be wrong, but have the story go in a positive direction. I don't think it went in a negative direction either. I mean, like, I, I, I think if anything, I saw people on social media praising this issue to the, you know, to the hilltops and it's not remotely there for me. I mean, I, I feel like this was kind of another inch forward in this storyline. I, I don't want to be taking steps in inches anymore. Like, 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 like we need to start taking more substantial steps forward now with this thing. But at the same token, like I still feel like this is moving in a more positive direction than say like hunted was at this stage of the game. This was not an all timer for me, you know, even with the one more day references and illusions and play of words and stuff like that. Like, I mean, this was this was one of the smarter and well well crafted setup issues that we've gotten from Spencer on this run, but it's still a setup issue. You know what I mean? Like this 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 didn't really do much in terms of moving things forward. And 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 that to me is what kind of knocks it off more than any kind of validation I could have gotten from it or 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 whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it moved an inch forward, but it was a really interesting inch. And I, I guess if you're gonna move an inch forward to cross the finish line, which I feel like this one kinda did, right? It got the reveal over with in a fairly interesting way, even if we already knew it. And I feel like now we're ready for the full fallout. If next issue we don't start getting some answers, I'll probably get way more antsy than I was in this issue. Oh, um, yeah. I, but I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not ready to bail or, or criticize the story. But like, I mean, like I said, like I saw people saying this was one of the best issues of Spider-Man in 20 years. And I'm like, no, come on. I, that, that, that's just <laughs> like, you know, we how, how could you experience like Dying Wish? 
and say this is one of the best stories of the last 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, to me, like 698 remains like the benchmark of like a holy F-U-C-K moment of Spider-Man history. You know what I mean? And 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 this was this was more like, a wow, that was a really interesting way of advancing this story. But it's not an all timer. I, I, I'm not trying to be be glib about it. It's just not to me. It's not. I, I mean, do you disagree? I don't disagree with you. I, I think this was a fun, fine issue, but I think even like the past two issues, I think I've enjoyed more on a like a payoff level, even if I find this one really interesting. What what I did want to talk about, and we didn't really get into this last time because we hadn't seen the fallout of the previous issue yet, is, you know, remember back when issue 700 came out and Peter was killed and the internet just like lit up in anger at Dan Slott? And yes, we knew we were getting superior Spider-Man and it seemed for all intents and purposes for the time being that Peter was dead. But Peter just died last issue and I haven't heard a peep about it. Nobody was upset. Like, why do we think that this was different? That's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't buy it. I guess that's part of it. I feel like... (laughs) I feel like, the, you know, with 700, we were told every which way, he's dead and he's never coming back. I mean, like they made that part of their marketing pitch, frankly. You know what I mean? Whereas this, it's like, yeah, he, he got his neck snapped, but, you know, like he'll be back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, in the, the issue recap, it says like, and then he killed him, you know, and it's like, OK, You know, like, I don't feel quite, I mean, I I can even speak for myself, right? Like, after reading 700 and reading 700, I felt this incredible anxiety, like, turning every page of Superior Spider-Man, you know? Like, it it was like a, you know, I knew that Peter would come back because I'm not silly and getting upset about comics. Like, I don't understand how comics work, that the heroes come back, which, again, if you feel slighted by that, I'm sorry, read more comics because these these characters are coming back. And IP like Spider-Man is keeping Marvel's comics selling and Superior sold a lot of comics. So, you know, whatever. But anyway, uh, I don't feel that same level of anxiety here. And I don't know if that's to the quality of the script necessarily more. Although I think issues 698 to 700 are like some of the finest like plotted issues of Spider-Man ever. I just, I guess like you're right. I don't buy it here because I think maybe we've been operating in the realm of dreams and hallucinatory death and hell for, for a long time. That doesn't feel like a hard out of nowhere swerve that like 698 to 700 did. I mean, for example, I don't even buy that Mysterio is dead. Like, and I know that they even said that in the, in the text, I think it was last issue where they're like, and he killed Mysterio. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Come on. Mysterio's back and he got back. I, I don't know. I like well, I don't it was, buy that. It was weird that the, it was weird that they said that. I think it's a misunderstanding because Mysterio was in that MJ series alive. I think the misunderstanding was that Peter thought Mysterio was dead because he had a dream of it. But remember, like Mysterio, Kindred gives Mysterio a script to take MJ out to LA, which nothing materialized from because that series was not good. But anyway, I'll stop beating on that series. But I don't know. I just think it's interesting to see the kind of diversity of reactions to this. Like, what was it about 700 that made people so upset? Because clearly it wasn't Peter dying because we saw him die here and people weren't as upset. But also keep in mind, I mean, 700 was literally like a final chapter of the series. I mean, we were told that this new series was starting and it was going to focus someone else on Spider-Man. I mean, like, no one is saying from Marvel right now that like, you know, Spider-Man is going to cease publishing now that, that his neck got snapped. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's all about the framing and how it's marketed. I mean, it's being marketed completely different. I mean, you know, if, if Marvel was out there banging the drum that Peter is dead, he just got his neck snapped by Kindred. What's going to happen next? And we, I think, I think we'd be seeing something different, frankly. Well, I just want to say this, so it's on the record. There's been a lot of solicits coming out for the next, you know, after the end of this story. And I found all the covers to be kind of weird and inventory covers. And the the solicit for this particular issue promised like a big fight between like Spider-Man and Kindred that we didn't get. And I'm going to say this. I think the solicits are baloney. 
moving forward. I think there's something major that they're hiding from us. And they all look like inventory stories. Like there's a cover that came out for February solicits of like a Mark Bagley drawn like Peter and MJ in a heart. And it is like one of the sloppiest looking things. Like the heart looks like a butt. It's like really sloppily done. And I have a hard time believing that that's like a mainstream cover of Amazing Spider-Man in 2021. Maybe it's just me like prematurely dumping on that issue's cover. But there's also like a bunch of other artists that aren't working on this book who are doing covers for upcoming issues. And so far, all the book covers of the past year and change have been interior artists doing the covers. And all the solicits are very vague and things like that. And I think that there's a hard swerve coming at the end of this series that the solicits are trying to like direct us away from. So I I just wanted to get that out there because like I've been looking at these solicits and I just don't believe them. I don't agree. I don't disagree with you. It's, you know, I, I, I am in wait and see mode. I, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't, I don't base my opinions on the stories on, on what the solicits say. I I agree that more often than not, they, they can be BS, but I mean, let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Like we, I'm, we, not, we, I'm not making any judgments on this story about the solicitor or anything like that. Like I really don't care. But looking at those, I just sense that there's some BS going on. There very well may be, or maybe we're about to get a couple of issues with some pretty crappy covers, Dan. So we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're crappy. They just they just seem so inventory. Okay. So well, why don't it's like we? It's the Spider Man swinging covers. You know what I'm talking about? Of course. Well, why don't we inventory our grades here on this? Sure, I'm giving this one a B. Once again, I am right there with you, Jesus, Dan. We need to we need to find something to disagree about because it's getting boring. <laughs> we don't need a boring no, Mark, show this is where interesting. we agree. <laughs> well, of course, it's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of the amazing spider talk. This episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these very reviews while joining us on a live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign the heck up? So, Mark, until you and I actually touch the New York subway's third rail, just for pleasure, what's our motto? Yikes. Well, <laughs> besides getting electrocuted, our, our motto would be, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next episode.